We just thank you for this day. We thank you for this opportunity we have to come together and to worship you. We ask you to guide and lead us as we open your word in your son Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Judges chapter 16. And let's look back just one verse and remember that uh, Samson has been judging Israel for 20 years. He was a judge for Israel for 20 years. And now we're going on to get to where he's going to end his career. Uh, so in verse 1 of chapter 16, Then went Samson to Gaza, and saw there a harlot, and went in unto her. And it was told the Gazites, saying, Samson has come hither. And they compassed him about, and laid in wait all night in the, in the gate of the city, and were quiet all night, saying, In the morning, when it is day, we shall kill him. And Samson lay there, lay till midnight, and arose at midnight, and took the doors of the gate and of the city, and the two posts, and went away with him, bar and all, and put them upon his shoulders, and carried them up to the top of the hill that is before Hebron. All right. Moses, Moses, yeah. Samson's been judged for 20 years, and we see here that he still has a penchant for the ladies of, of Philistia, uh, because Gaza is in, is in the Philistia. And so he goes down and finds a harlot and goes into her. So again, we see that Samson is not a righteous man. In spite of being dedicated to God and being used by God and the Spirit coming upon him, he is not very righteous. And he goes into, the, into this harlot and he is seen going in here because he's, you know, he just killed, remember in the previous chapter, he killed a thousand men with the jawbone of a donkey. Uh, he has set himself up as king, as judge of uh, Israel. They, they have 20 years that he's ruling. He is probably uh, number one most wanted person of, of, of uh, Philistia. You know, posters all over, seeing this man, we want him. <laughs> uh, so he shows up in Gaza, Gaza and they decide that they're going to wait for him to go through the gate in the morning. And if you know anything about the gates of cities, there's little guard houses. And what they'd hoped to do is get him in the, in the little wall way between the gates and be able to come in on both sides so that he couldn't defend himself very well. And you could come in from the guard houses and be able to shoot, shoot down and pour down stuff. So that, that was their plan. Okay, when he comes out in the morning, we're going to get him. And it says he got up at midnight, went to the gate, and you got to picture this. He took the whole gate, the bars and the posts, right out of the wall. All right. Now, I'm assuming because this is said that this was not some weak walled city that they was in it. This was supposed to be a city where that gate was supposed to be able to withstand the battering rams and everything of the enemy. He takes the gate completely out of the wall. It says he puts it on his shoulders. And he takes it to a, mount, a, a hill just outside of Hebron. Now, if you don't have a clue how far Hebron is from Gaza, you're probably like most of us here in America. It's about 40 miles. He carries the gate of the city on his shoulders 40 miles at the end going uphill. And most of it's going to be uphill because Gaza is down by the Mediterranean Sea so he's going uphill the whole way. All right? That is a pretty good job carrying a gate. All right? And we, can, we don't know how big and powerful he looked or was, 
but he was strong enough with the power of God to carry a gate 40 miles that usually would have taken the entire group of people and a, and a wagon or two to, to move. So this is the power that God has given Samson. And Samson still thinks that there's one reason, as we're going to find out later in this chapter, why he has his strength. And he thinks it's all in his hair. He does not understand that it's from God at this point. But you know, we just see, and I, I, when we look at Samson, I see this uh, man who doesn't believe in God, and yet God is still using him. And he's a weak person. He has all kinds of sins that he, sin issues, and God still uses him. And yet, he's a great picture of who we are as Christians. When we fall into sin, God will still be able to reach down and use us because it's all by grace. And this is something that's very important for us to understand. Samson is used by God's grace, and yet he had many problems. If he was able to look back on his life sometime later on, he would have been, he would have been able to say, well, yeah, you know, I fell in love with this, this one girl of Philistia, and my parents didn't like her. I went into this prostitute, and yet God kept giving me power over the Philistines. And so does that mean we should go out and do sins and everything? Absolutely not. But it does mean that God could still use us in spite of our sins that we commit. And very important for us to be able to understand this, that God will use us in spite of who we are and what we do. So Samson is gone. He's, he's taken this gate 40 miles, and he's being used by God. Now, verse 4. And it came to pass afterward that he loved a woman in the valley of Shorak, whose name was Delilah. And the lords of the Philistines came up to her and said unto her, Entice him and see wherein his great strength lie, and by what means he, we may prevail against him, that we may bind him to afflict him, and we will give you every man of us 1,100 pieces of silver. And Delilah said unto Samson, Tell me, I pray you, wherein your great strength lies, and wherein you might be bound and to afflict you. And Samson said unto her, If you bind me with seven green wreaths, which are never dried, I shall be weak and be as, any other, as another man. Then the lords of the Philistines brought up to her seven green wreaths, which had never been dried, and so bound, and she bound him with them. And now the, there were men laying in wait, abiding with her in the chamber. And she said unto him, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. And he broke the wives as a thread of tow is broken when it is touched by the fire, so his strength was not known. Who's going to talk about this? So he, he then falls in love with another Philistine woman. Uh, this, was a, this one is not nice. This one is you know, going to be trouble for him as, as the other ones have been, but uh, she's going to be more trouble for him. And he falls in love with her, and her name's Delilah. And so they watch, you know, it becomes very apparent the Philistines are watching Samson where he goes. When he went into this woman in Gaza, they knew it. When he goes into Delilah, they know it. And because he is the leader, he is public enemy number one basically in their mind, they probably have spies that are set up there and their job is tell us what he's doing, where is he going. Let's find this, find the, the weakness that he has and then we can get him arrested and put into prison. Because remember, every time they've arrested him, he's He's killed a bunch of people, so they're not anxious to arrest him. 
All right. They got him in Gaza and he took the, gates, the city gates off and, and walked him 40 miles away. So they're really under, wanting to understand what's going on with this man. Yeah, some clarification. I've always in the past uh, remembered that uh, he went down to Timna. That's his, that was his first girl. That was, okay, I missed that. That was the wife. That was his one that he went to, the, to get married to and had to feast and, and the men. And the men tricked him in, you know, he made a riddle with them and a bet with them, and then they, they tricked his wife into getting it from him. Yeah. That was the previous chapter. Okay, gotcha. Yep. So, yeah, Timna is correct, but not, not this particular chapter. Okay. So, they're, they're watching Samson. They're trying to say, what is this man? Where, what is his weakness? And this is the thing, when God uses somebody, people watch them. When Daniel was being used by God and the, the enemies that had him, they, they watched him to find out, is there anything in Daniel we can use against him? And Daniel was an amazing man because these guys watched him for a long period of time and they determined there was only one thing they could do was make a log, making it illegal to pray to God, and that was the only thing they could find that would, that would be able to trip him up. That's a godly man. Most men aren't that good. If you watch even a godly person long enough, you'll usually find something in their life that you can use against them. And here they're watching Samson. Is there anything we can use against him? Anything that will make him weak? Anything that will, that will put him so that we can execute him for all practical purposes? Because that's what they want. You know, he's killed the 30 people in Timnah when he, when he made that bed. He killed 1,000 men in, with the jawbone of a donkey who thought they had him you know, because he was already tied up. And here, when he went to Gaza, or Gaza, he had that same problem. They thought they had him, and he just took their t t or the gates out of the wall. And you've got to figure, that cost him a bunch of money to replace the gates and recenter and mason them in and, and put them in, the, in there. And now Delilah gets the opportunity to try to trick him. And so they go to her and they said, entice him to tell you where his great strength lies. Because they knew his strength was supernatural. Which is why, you know, two weeks ago, most people have this picture of Samson as a big, burly, you know, muscle-bound guy. And I don't, every time I read this, I don't think that was Samson. Okay, and I could be wrong. I think he was somebody that, if you looked at him, he looked kind of wimpy or at least normal. In the he, movie that I saw him he was a big Oh, everybody pictures him as burly. All the movies picture him as burly. But, you know, they're, they're asking, what is his great strength? If he was a big, strong, burly guy, they would go, uh, well, he's a muscle-bound brute. Of course, he's, of course he's strong. I really have this picture that he was average at best. Now, how is this guy, this average Joe, you know, defeating a thousand men? How did he, you know, yank a gate out of the wall and drag it 40, carry it 40 miles? Okay, there has to be some secret, you know, he's, he's been eating his spinach every day before he does these things, or whatever it might be, you know, he, they're saying, what is making him so special, because they would look at him, I believe they looked at him and said, there's no way he can do all this stuff, okay, and this is my opinion, and it's not worth anything, like you say, every movie you see shows this great big, burly, you know, good-looking hunk of a man that, you know, everybody would look at and say, well, of course we know why he's so strong. Look, he's working out every day. Look at those muscles. Okay, so I, this is my opinion. I've heard others say it. I just don't believe he was a muscle-bound brute of a man. He was either extremely wimpy or at best average of people going, there's no way. Oh, well, 
say, well, even if he was a big burly guy, he would have to be a really, I mean, he, he was super, maybe supernatural. Yeah. Yeah, and you're, you're right, and that's why I can't make a hard stance that he wasn't, you know, this, but every time you look at him, it's like nobody recognizes him as this guy that's super, you know. He looked like super mature. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, one of, one of the famous movies of Samson that didn't do a very good job on the story. <laughs> anyway, they go to Delilah, and they say entice him. You know, tell, have him tell you what his, what his strength is so that we can prevail against him and that we might bind him and give unto, and we will give you 1,100 pieces of silver each. So she is being given a pretty significant bribe. And I don't know how many lords there were. I know there were seven major cities in Philistia, so it may have been seven of them. It may have been more. We don't know because it doesn't really tell us how many of them there were. I know that there were seven major cities in the area, so there's at least seven of them that are probably saying, come entice him and we'll give you 11,000 pieces of silver each. Eleven hundred. Oh, excuse me, 1,100. 1,100 pieces, that's still a lot of money. So, can't read either tonight. 1,100 pieces of silver, so this is quite a offering to her. Now whether she likes Samson or not, we don't know, but this is enough to get her to, to try to get him to give his secret and, and sell him out. Uh, his first wife that he was getting married sold him out for her, the life of her family, and remember that didn't work out very well because they killed her when Samson retaliated. So that didn't work out well. When people go against Samson, their life doesn't work out the way they think it is going to, mostly because they're going against God and God's man. No, even though he's not perfect, he's still God's man, and when they go against him, God brings judgment. And we're going to see this, this huge judgment. So Delilah comes in, and it's kind of an interesting statement in verse 6. He says, tell me, I pray you, where is your great strength, and where you, that you might be bound and afflict you? This should send off alarm bells to Samson. Uh, Samson, tell me, what will make you weak so people can hurt you? Uh, and I guess he was truly in love with Delilah, so much so that he didn't even hear the words or didn't even comprehend the words. But he decides he's going to have a little fun with her. And he tells her, you know, hey, if you take uh, green writhe bound, it's a rope material, that has never, never been used and you tie me up and, and it's never been dried, I shall be weak just like any other person. All right, so she tells the leaders, you know, this message, you know, hey, if we get these green rise against him and tie him up, he'll be weak. And so they very generously supply <laughs> the, the uh, green wreaths to tie him up. And they tie him up, and she ties him up, it says. And what a sleeper he must be to not even know he's being tied up. Uh, yeah, that's, if you look at the life of Samson, this guy, man must be somebody who is an extreme, you know. He's selective hearing. He's not listening to Delilah. He's, he's falling in love with every pretty girl, at least by his standards, he comes across. He's sleeping, sleeping with her, and she ties him up, and he doesn't seem to notice. You probably think that she's just caressing him. Uh, maybe. Yeah. Who, 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 knows what, who knows what this is? I don't, I don't even want to begin to speculate as to why she can get away with all of the stuff that she gets, gets away with. But, you know, this is, this is a really dense man. <laughs> 
when it comes to understanding things. You know, she goes, you know, what, what can be done to you to make you so weak? And I can understand in one sense, if you really have somebody you totally trust maybe telling this stuff, but you know, he's just recently met her and she's asking her this question, asking this question. I don't think this is, would be something that would be played with, and yet he does. You know, pretty much the same thing he did, remember, when he was at the wedding feast and he told this riddle to them, and then his wife-to-be goes, well, you don't even love me because you didn't tell me your riddle. Well, I haven't even told my mom and dad the riddle yet. Why would I tell you? And then she bugged him and whined and cried about it for the rest of the, rest of the wedding ceremony until he finally told her. Now, he has a weakness. He has a great weakness. And it's for women. His, all of his senses seem to go out the window when he's, when he's around women. And I've actually met guys that are that way. They go totally crazy. There's probably girls that go crazy that way too, but I, I, I deal with men, you know, I've dealt with men in this issue that just seem to go crazy when the right woman comes along or the right looks come along and they lose their mental capacity, it seems like. And this is what Samson did. And then after she ties him up, she calls out and the men are waiting outside at the, in the chamber right next door. They, they're in her house next to the room that they're in. Waiting to, you know, waiting to come and get him. You know, it says that uh, she calls out that the Philistines are upon you and he breaks the, breaks the, the, the strings like the thread of tow and that's uh, flax that's been dried up. So and it's, good, it's really good for, for kindling. And that's what he says, it breaks so easy. He broke it like tow, so his strength was not known. All right, so he's ready to fight. He's standing up, ready to fight. I am, I don't know what the Philistines, because it doesn't tell us whether the Philistines came into the room at this time. I have a feeling they didn't. They were waiting for some other, you know, sign that he was bound up, probably some cry, you know, but he got up, snapped, snapped the cords, and was ready to fight. And even then, he's not going to seem to understand what Delilah's doing to him. Okay? It's, it's an amazing thing that goes on as he goes through this. All right, verse 10. And Delilah said unto Samson, Behold, you have mocked me and, and told me lies. Now tell me, I pray you, wherein with your might that you might be bound. Okay, and again, this should, you know, he just got done, the, he's just gone through with her saying, the Philistines are upon you, and now she's crying about being mocked and saying, you know, you're mocking me. And that still does not bring alarm bells to Samson's and he said unto you, in verse 11, If they bind me fast with new ropes that have never been occupied, then I shall be weak as any man. Now we know that this is a lie because he just had that when he was arrested by the, Jew, the people of Judah. They bound him with new ropes and took him down to the, uh, to the Philistines and he broke out of those and he picked up the jawbone of the donkey and kills a thousand. He's repeating this. Now Delilah doesn't seem to know that he broke out of new ropes. But he says, you know, hey, if there's new ropes that have never been used, they'll bind me. Okay? And he says, I'll be weak like any other my man. And Delilah therefore took new ropes and bound him therewith and said unto him, The Philistines be upon you, Samson. And there were liars laying wait in the chamber, and he broke them from off his arms like thread. All right. So here we have the same thing. Again, he's being tied up without knowing he's being tied up. Yeah, he must have been one heavy sleeper. 
or drugged or whatever it might be, but he gets tied up twice without knowing that he's been tied up. Delilah goes through the whole same process. The Philistines are upon you. And he gets up and those ropes just snap off of his, off his body and he gets ready to defend himself. And again, the Philistines were in the other room waiting. And again, it appears that this is all happening in one night. Okay, it doesn't seem like this is going o- over a period of time. She comes in, binds him. He breaks the binds. It doesn't seem like they went in, and she just cries to him and says, you know, that there's a problem. She binds him up with a new rope, which I don't know where they get the new rope, but they get the new rope, and bind him up, and he breaks those. And you would think that after two times, Samson might start getting a little smarter. Okay? And Samson seems to be this guy that just seems to think that he is smarter than everybody else and he can outplay it. We saw it with the, the bet that he made with the Philistines that he couldn't, couldn't afford to pay off. We see it through all these times that he thinks he's smarter than everybody else. He can, he's always going to be victorious. Except for the women. Except for the women. Well, he thinks he'll get over them too. He just loses his, loses his marbles around them and he's eventually going to lose a lot more than his marbles. All right, so in verse 12, Delilah therefore, oops, excuse me, 13. And Delilah said unto Samson, Wherefore have you mocked me and, not, and told me lies? Tell me wherein you might be bound. And he said unto her, If you weave the seven locks of my hair with, with the web and fasten it with a pin, and you fasten it with the web. And she fastened it with the pin and said unto him, The Philistines be upon you, Samson. And he woke up out of his sleep and went away with the pin and the beam and with the web. Now this one indicates that he went someplace. She, he basically said, now this one he's getting very close to the truth of his strength. Okay, he says, if you weave my hair and put it into a netting and, and bind this to a beam, I won't be able to, to move. Okay, very close to the truth here on, on, it, on where he, at least where he thinks his strength is from. Because this is a, remember he's, he's, called to be a, a Nazarite. He was not to touch alcohol or grape. He was not to touch dead things and he was not to cut his hair. He has violated every one of those, those vows except for his hair up till now. So he's believing that it's all in his hair. Okay? And so he's coming very close with this, with this lie to her. You know, weave my hair into, into braids and, and and put it with a harder substance, a web, whatever a webbing is. You know, we may call it a braiding, you know, braiding and stuff that we have. And, and nail it to a beam and it won't be a problem. So this time he gets up and it says, he awoke out of his sleep and he walked away with the pin of the beam and with the web. So they, they had nailed his hair to the beam and he walked away with the, bear, the beam hanging off of his hair. Okay, even his hair seems to be strong. It doesn't get pulled out by the beam. I would think that his hair would have come out. Yeah, coming out from the roots. Either that or she did a very good job braiding it so that it was very strong. Uh, but you know, here we see this time he's getting very close to the truth uh, of where his strength, or at least where he thinks his strength comes. He doesn't realize his strength comes from God at this point. Verse 15, and, and she said unto him, how can you say I love you with your when your heart is not with me. You have mocked me these three times and you have not told me wherein your great strength lies. And it came to, 
came to pass when she pressed him daily with her words and urged him that his soul was vexed unto death. This sounds very familiar to our previous chapter. When his soon-to-be wife pressed him daily for the answer to the riddle. Again, this is how senseless Samson is. I think any normal person would have realized she's pressing me for my strength and she keeps saying that the, that the Philistines are upon me. There is some problem and he should have gotten away, as far away from her as he possibly could. And yet how many times do we in the middle of committing sin keep doing that sin even when it's taking us further and further away from God? You talk to somebody who's addicted to alcohol or to drugs. And you'll talk to them when they are sober and, and talk to them about how their addiction is killing them. And they'll even agree, yes, my addiction's killing me. I need to stop. And then they'll go grab another beer or another hit, usually right minutes after you've spoken to them. This is Samson. He's in the throes of a sin that just has him totally addicted to, to this woman. And he cannot seem to break it. Even though he appears to him, he probably knows that it's going to cost him. At some point, he knows this is going to cost him, and yet he will not give her up. And many times, we're in a place where we will not give up a sin, whatever that sin might be. And we just keep doing it, knowing that it's harming us, maybe going to take our life, maybe physically and emotionally, but definitely spiritually harming us, breaking our fellowship with God, and yet we just will not give it up. We will stay in an addiction. We will stay in pornography. We will stay in our, in our anger and our bitterness. We will stay in unforgiveness. We will you know, stay in whatever it is that keeps us from following God. And Samson's just in that same area. He is examining this whole thing and saying, okay, I, and it's also the idea that I'm strong enough. I can get, I can do it. I can get away with it. And most of us, when we're in the middle of sin, do just that. This sin's not going to get hold of me. I, I, I'm stronger than that. Me and God can get through this. The only thing is we forget that God's not in the middle of our sin and he's going to let the sin drag us down. Uh, and we're going, okay. And this is where Samson's at. I can, I can endure. I can endure this whining and crying, which, he know, which we know that he can't because it already happened to him in Timnah that he couldn't endure the whining and crying. And so we see this problem developing for Samson. He should have been learning, though, to not have lust and not commit adultery and fornication. That would have been a better thing for him to remember. And it, and it says that she kept pressing him daily and urged him so that his soul was vexed unto death. Now, the easy answer to this would have been, go home. <laughs> okay, get away from this. And it, but, you know, this is also the problem when we deal with sin. When we get caught up in sin... We don't see the easy answer to the sin is to get out of the sin, leave it behind, walk away from it, and leave it behind. And Samson does not understand or see that the answer to this is leave Delilah. Okay? He's still infatuated with her. He still thinks he's in love with her. He still thinks he trusts her. And it's going to be a problem for him because it is hurting him emotionally and physically to go through all of this as she presses him on a daily basis. Verse 17. And he told her all that was in his heart and said unto her, 
There has not come a razor upon my head, for I have been a Nazarite unto God from my mother's womb. If I be shaven, then my strength will go from me, and I shall become weak and be like any other man. And when Delilah saw that he had told her all his heart, she sent and called for the lords of the Philistines, saying, Come up this once, for he hath showed me all his heart. Then the lords of the Philistines came up unto her and brought money in their hand. And she made him sleepy upon her knees and called for a man and, and caused him to shave off the seven locks of his head and began to afflict him. And his strength went from him. And she said, unto the, said, The Philistines be upon you, Samson. And when he awoke out of sleep and said, I will go out as the other times before and shake myself. And he wist not that the Lord had departed from him. But the Philistines took him and put out his eyes and brought him down to Gaza and bound him with fetters of brass. And he did grind in the prison house. Okay. Finally, after being nagged and nagged and nagged, he finally decides to tell Delilah. And again, I don't understand why he trusts her after three times of having gone through this here. He trusts her. This is a secret that he should not be letting out. This is, this is uh, super, uh, Clark Kent telling everybody he's Superman. This is Bruce Wayne telling everybody he's Batman. You know, this is, you know, this is the secret of my strength. This is how I, how I do everything. He can't keep secrets. He can't keep his secret. He, he can't... Uh, can't get away from women and it becomes obvious that when he tells this one you know if you just shave my head because I've never been my hair has been shaved and this one probably very obvious okay I don't know how old he is he's been ruling for 20 years so he's definitely probably in his 30s 40s it's very obvious that his head has not been shaved or cut so when he starts telling you my hair's never been shaved if you shave my head I'll be like anybody else this one becomes very believable and there's probably something in the tone of his voice that tells Delilah, this is true. He is telling the truth this time. Because if you've ever been around somebody where you just know they're telling the truth, you know, even if they're normally a liar, you just know that they're telling the truth. And so this one all seems to be she knows what's going on, and he's being very honest on this one, probably almost in tears. You know, hey, no razors touched my... And maybe, you know, there is a possibility that Samson just wants this to be over with. He's tired of being this person that he's been. He's tired of being, maybe tired of being a ruler. Because I can tell you, you know, the people are probably looking at him. You're our judge, but, you know, how can you keep doing these things? Why do you go down to Gaza to, to sleep with a prostitute? What are, you, what are you going down to Delilah? And, you know, being judged by other people can have a very demeritous demer relationship for you and make you feel really bad. You know, we look at somebody like Job, all of his, you know, God takes everything away from him and it's God's plan for it to happen and his friends, you know, are so nice to him, telling him it's all his fault and that he deserves what came his way, not knowing that it wasn't his fault. You know, and it beats Job down to the point where he finally just says, God, I need to talk to you and I, I, God, get down here because I'm going to defend myself. Uh, why? Because he's just been beat up beat up by people. And very important for us as Christians that we lift each other up. It doesn't mean that we say their sin is okay, but we encourage them that God is able. God is able to give strength. If we're tearing people down, it doesn't do anything good for them and will cause nothing but trouble for them in the long run. And here, Samson is basically given up, I think. He's, so he tells her, Hey, if you shave my hair, I'll be, 
I'll be like anybody uh, else. And then in verse 18, And when Delilah saw that he had told her all his heart, she called for the lords of the Philistines, saying, Come up this once, for he has shown me, and this is like this one last time, you know, he's really told me now what's going to make him weak. And they brought money in their hand. Now, I never said it brought money in their hand this time, but this time it seems like they're ready. She's convinced them that they're going to be paying this time. She made him sleep upon her knees and, and called for a man and caused him to shave off the seven locks of his head, and she began to afflict him, and his strength went out from him. So this time, she, again, she gets him to sleep. Only this time, she's not going to uh, tie him up. They're going to cut his hair. But again, this is like, how do you cut somebody's hair without waking them up? He's either a very deep sleeper, excess she caused him to sleep, you know, maybe, maybe she's drugged him a little bit, you know, minor drugs, I don't know. You know, maybe he's just so confident, you know, and he might just be a deep sleeper. He's so confidently aware that he has nothing to fear that he just sleeps deeply. Uh, I've, I've met people who just sleep and nothing seems to wake them up. Pretty worn out. He hasn't been fighting up till now, other than with Delilah not telling her the truth. He's mentally asleep. And then she said, the Philistines be upon you, Samson. And he awoke out of his sleep and said, I'll go out as other times and shook himself. And he did not know that the Lord had departed from him. So he gets up. He's ready to fight. He's ready to walk out. And even then, he did not know. He's so far from understanding God's presence that he was not even aware that God's presence was no longer there. And this is kind of a sad thing. If we walk away from God into sin long enough, we can get to the same place where we don't even recognize that God is no longer present with us. Now, has he totally departed and left us behind? No, but he says, I'm going to stand over here while you go through these trials so that you will turn to come back to me. And this is so important for us to understand. When we feel isolate and afar from God, God's not the one that moved. We're the one that moved away from him. We're the one that entered into sin and started wandering away from him. And it's very important for us to be able to sense that God is not there. Samson is so hard-hearted toward God that he doesn't even know that God is not there. And this also goes to tell you that he never realized that all of his strength was from God in the first place. Every time he did all these big events, he somehow thought it was attached to the fact that he hadn't cut his hair. It's my hair. You know, it's my hair and it's my hair only. It's not God and it's not, it's just my vow to not cut my hair. Forget about the other two parts of that vow. It's, it's my hair. And, you know, sometimes we do that as Christians. God, it's, I read my Bible every day. I go to church every week. And God says, yeah, but you're not, you're not spending time with me. You're not getting to know me. You're not coming into my, pres- into my presence. And it says he did not know. And the Philistines took him, and they poked out his eyes. They blinded him. And they took him to Gaza and put him into fetters of brass and put him in the grinding house, and he got to be uh, just like an ox or a cow pushing the grinding wheel. And... That was what he got to do. It's pretty easy to push the grinding wheel. It goes around in circles. He can be blind and push the grinding wheel. But you know how hard it must have been? Because he probably could say, I'm on this grinding wheel. I'm supposed to be able to push this thing. I could, I'm supposed to be able to carry this grinding wheel all the way out of the, 
out of this prison and no, with no problem. And yet, he's in a place where he can't. He's been made weak. And, and especially at first, he's probably having trouble pushing the grinding wheel. And again, if he's a muscle-bound brute, it's not too difficult. If he's like I think, just an ordinary man, he's going to have to learn to get muscles in this case as he, as he grinds this wheat. Because that's a heavy wheel. It's been said that those, those millstones could weigh as much as a ton. And he's pushing this thing around and around, grinding wheat in the prison. You know, day, to, day in, day out, grinding wheat. Verse 22, Howbeit the hair of his head began to grow again after he was shaven. Then the lords of the Philistines gathered them together for a great off sacrifice to Dagon their god and, and to rejoice. For they said, Our god has delivered Samson, so Samson our enemy into our hands. And when the people saw him, they praised their god. For they said, Our god has delivered into our hands our enemy and the destroyer of our country, which slew many of us. And it came to pass, when their hearts were merry, that they said, Call for Samson, that he may make us sport. And they called for Samson out of the prison house, and they made him, and he made them sport. And they set him between the pillars. And Samson said unto the lad that held him by the hand, Suffer me, I pray you, to feel the pillars wherein the house stand is, that I may lean upon them. Okay, so while he's grinding wheat, his hair starts growing. And, you know, he's not been dedicated to the Lord. He did not, if you remember, part of the Nazarite vow is when you ended your Nazarite vow, you had to go make a sacrifice. He has not made a sacrifice for ending his Nazarite vow for any of the three times that he's violated his Nazarite, you know, each part of that. So he has not caused it. But it says his hair grows back. His hair is growing back. And you've got to remember, Samson thinks that his strength is in his hair. So this, to me, to him, is a... Good, good thing. My hair's growing back. I'm going to get my strength. He's probably getting stronger with the daily moving around of the wheel. So he thinks he's getting stronger. Okay? Uh, but he's going to recognize. At the end, he's going to recognize where strength comes from. And it says they have a great feast to Dagon. Now, Dagon is one of the Philistines' gods. He is a great fish-like god with a with a human body and head of a human, uh, excuse me, body of a human, head of a fish. And this is the god they worship. And they're having a big feast. And one of the things that you've got to remember is in those heathen temples, pagan temples, most of the worship of the gods came in drunken orgies, and, and, and food banquets. So they are getting drunk, they are having orgies, and they decide, let's get Samson out here. You know, he, he, let's get that great leader of the Israel out here so that we can make sport, we can make fun of him. We're going to tease him, we're going to make sure he understands that he was nothing. You know, he's nothing. Entertain them, yep, make sport. They, they're teasing him. And when the people saw him, in verse 24, they praised their God and said, Our God has delivered our enemy into our hand and the destroyer of our country, which slew many of us. Now notice on here that they're not saying that they have defeated the God of Israel. 
Okay, why? Because Samson never acknowledged that it was the God of Israel that gave him his power. They're just saying they got the leader. They got the king. And they're going to make a show of him. They're going to make fun of him. They're going to tease him. Verse 25. And it came to pass when their hearts were merry that they said, call for Samson that he may make sport. And they called for Samson out, out of the prison house and they made, and he made them sport. And they set him between the pillars. And I can imagine what this is probably going to be. Here's a blind man and they're, they're playing blind man bluff. They're, they're walking up to him and striking him and, you know, daring him to do anything and maybe even wrestling with him a little bit because he's, you know, he's, he's so weak now. They're, they're making him look the fool. They're making him look the fool, which in reality he is at this moment. He has not trusted God and God is letting him understand how much of a fool he was for not trusting him. You know, have you ever been in a place where you've been backslidden and you feel like the fool and God just lets you wallow in it until you're finally ready to confess? God, I really messed up. Can you please deliver me from this? And we've all probably been there. You know, uh, I've shared with you when I walked away from God for a period, that period of time, you know, I felt like such a hypocrite because I tell people they needed to know God and I go, I haven't been to church or read the Bible and I'm telling people they need God. And it felt miserable. I knew what to say and, and, and all that, but I wasn't living it. And Samson's going to begin to understand that. He's going to begin to understand that. And they said that he asked the little lad, put me between the two pillars that hold up the temple. Now I'm wondering how this lad, number one, knew that there were two pillars that would hold up the, the temple. Can't see. Uh, well, the lad can see. Okay. Uh, now, there is part of the design of these big buildings. You have to have pillars. Okay, and usually you would have a really big pillar or a double pillar in the center because any very large enclosed space uh, needed support. All right, now we know, know you can make domes and all these things that can be interlocked and pressed against each other and everything, but this is before the, that de development. And Samson tells this young man, put me between the pillar, pillars that hold this up, that I may lean on them. Now, he literally means he wants to lean on them, uh, so much so that he wants to knock them down, as we're going to see. Verse 27, now the house was full of men and women, and all the lords of the Philistines were there, and there were upon the roof about 3,000 men and women that beheld while Samson made sport. And Samson called unto the Lord and said, O Lord God, remember me, I pray you, and strengthen me, I pray you, only this once, O God, that I may be at once avenged of the Philistines for my two eyes. And Samson took hold of the two middle pillars upon which the house stood and upon which it was borne up, and the one on his right hand and the other on it with his left. And Samson said, let me die with the Philistines. And he bowed himself with all his might, and the house fell upon the lords and upon all the people that were therein, so that the dead which he slew in his death were more than they which he had slew in his life. Then his brethren and the house of his father came down and took him and brought him up and buried him between Zorah and Eshtohal and in the burying place of Manoah his father, and he judged Israel 20 years. So here he is in the middle of the temple. He gets taken over to the pillars that support the temple. And finally, for the first time it appears in his entire life, he recognizes where his strength came. 
Okay, and I think part of it was because they were making sport of him. His hair had grown, he probably thought he was getting stronger, and here they are making a fool of him when he thinks he should be able to defend himself. So he decides, put me in the middle. And it says that the house was full. Just on the roof were 3,000 people. And that doesn't count all the lords and the people in their, in their high diocese and everything. So there's a lot of people in this temple. And Samson finally calls out to God. And he says, oh, God, remember me. I pray you strengthen me. He finally realizes my strength came from God. Might have had a long time in the grinding, grinding wheel of the prison to kind of remember that his strength didn't come from him. And he's been made sport of, so he all of a sudden realizes his, sport, his strength never came from anything internal. And he's probably thinking back, the Nazarite vow. I was called to be separate from God. I was called to be holy to God. God must be my strength. And he all of a sudden starts getting an understanding. I pray you, God, strengthen me. Only this once, God, that I may be avenged of the Philistines for my two eyes. He's still not thinking about his people at this point. <laughs> saying, God, they hurt me, I want revenge. So it's still kind of a precatory prayer here. God, just give me the strength so I can defeat these, these people that have hurt me. God's going to answer it. God answered David's prayer oftentimes for his, his revenge on people. And you know, we need to be careful about precatory prayers because God might just answer them and harm the people that we're praying against. I don't really want to see anybody harmed. I want to see them go to heaven, and, and I want God to do whatever it takes to get them there, but I'm not going to pray for their harm because I don't want to see them harmed. I want to see them turn to God. Now, if it takes harm for them to turn to God, then I want harm to come to them, but I don't want harm to come to them if that's not what it takes. But Samson goes, God, give me the strength. I, I'm going to die here with them. Give me the strength to kill these people. They took my eyes out. They've been making sport of me. Let me get strength just one more time. Well, there's no real example to be set with this part of the story. Then. Now, he didn't set any real example. He's going to die. This is a sacrifice. All he's doing is killing all the leaders of the Philistia, uh, Philistia right now. Yeah, but we all try to get something or learn something from these stories. He sacrificed himself. Huh? He sacrificed himself. He did sacrifice himself for his people, even though he didn't, he didn't recognize he's sacrificing himself for his people. Uh, but I think ultimately we see that sin has consequence. How did he have to, to get his final victory? It was through the death of himself in the middle of it all. And through the torture what he went through. And the torture, sin has consequence. And that's, I think, the biggest lesson we do learn from Samson's life. Even though God used him in spite of all of his sin and his wrongdoing, Ultimately, it had consequence. He lost his eyes, and he's going to, his final victory is going to be in his death. Yeah, the torture first, and then... Yeah. Torture, the pain he went through, and then he says, God, okay, God, I can't get out of this, and I don't even want, probably don't even want to get out of this. You know, what, what, what's a blind man in his generation going to do? The fact that he uh, redeemed himself with God before he did it. He came back to God and, and finally recognized where his power and strength came from. And that's the good news, is he finally did realize where, where everything belonged and turned to God as he basically martyred himself, martyred himself with it. I mean, from, you know, the pillars and everything, from that first time a thousand and then the other, and then he really wanted to go. Thirty, a thousand, and now 
300,000 just around the, the roof, plus however many people are on the floor worshiping. And you know the lords and the mighty people are on the floor worshiping their god. So he kills a lot of people in his final deathbed struggle. And some of it you see some self-pity on here. I've got my eyes taken. God just, you know, you know help me have vengeance on them. I want, to take, I want to take out as many as I can on this one last thing. But it really does go to show us sin has consequence. And, you know, this is a sentence I keep saying over and over. Every sin that we have has a consequence. Every righteous act we do has a consequence. We just like those consequences. And we don't usually recognize the rewards that we have as much as we do sin's consequences. Because rewards don't hurt. You know, how easy is it to forget that God gave us a blessing? You know, and but we, when we're being suffering a consequence, we're in pain, and it sticks out in us that we're in pain. Yeah. In some way. In some way, except he's not taking anybody with him he, yeah. to heaven. He's taking everybody that with him into death. But he did ask for this forgiveness, and he did recognize it. And then the verse 34, And his brethren and all the house of his father came down and took him and brought him up and buried him between Zorah and Eshtoal, in the burying place of Manoah, his father, and he judged Israel 20 years. So we get this fact that there's no time really between the, the end of the last chapter that said he judged Israel for 20 years and the time that he had these two dalliances with women. There's just a very short period of time, no more than a year, not even a, long enough to get another year added to his judging of Israel. But this is the story of Samson, you know, such a sad story of somebody who doesn't recognize God for all of his life and yet gets used. And never even recognizes that he's being used by God because he never recognizes when God leaves him. It isn't until the very end that he comes to a redemption with God and says, God, just one more time, you are my strength. Help me get this one last victory. One last victory. So in one sense, Samson actually ended very well. Okay? All of his life he had not been very done very well. He was dedicated and, and separated unto God from birth. He violates all of, his, all of his separation from God. Doesn't recognize that it's God who's given him his strength each time he's gone to battle. But at the very end, he recognizes it's all God. Well, I think what's amazing is God was with him all this time. He kept giving him the strength that and each time he did worse and worse and worse, and God still didn't give up. I, I love the patience of God. Because God is so patient. He's patient with Samuel, uh, Samson. He's patient with many of the other characters in the Bible. And he's so patient with us. How many times do we do things that, that really do deserve to just be crushed? God, you know, uh, and those are the times when we find it hard to ask for forgiveness or even to forgive ourselves. God, I deserve what I'm getting. I'm going to wallow around in it for a while because God, you know, you deserve, you really should have given me worse than you gave me. And we wallow around in our, in our punishment because we feel we deserve it, and we do. But God's saying, repent. Repent. Why does he want us to repent? Because he, he said, if we're his child, we're perfect. He's declared us perfect. He wants us to repent. He didn't want to bring the judgment upon us in the first place. You know, if we could just sin and go straight into repentance it'd be a whole lot easier on our life than, than not doing it. Because usually we wait till God pushes us around a little bit with the, with the 
consequence of sin before we even dream of repenting. And it's, it's so critical that we learn to have a soft heart toward God, a tender heart. David, after he killed Uriah, went for over nine months before he repented of the adultery with Bathsheba and the murder of Uriah. How do we know it was nine months? Because the baby was born and then died. Now, how long after nine months? We don't know, but we know it's a minimum of nine months. Okay? And maybe people believe as much as 12, 12 months before David finally repented of his actions with, you know, with God. All the times, probably, well, nobody's caught me. Nobody said anything. No, I've gotten away with this. I've gotten away with this. Bathsheba's pregnant where the baby hasn't been taken. The baby's been born. We got away with this. Uriah's been murdered. Nobody, you know, and he, probably, he probably didn't even think of it as murder. All he did was put him in a place where he could die by battle. You know, orchestrated, of course. You know, put, put Uriah and his men in the hottest battle for you and then pull away from them. So I don't believe it was only Uriah that died when, when they, David did that to him. Because Uriah was a captain of men. He and his men were put in a hot spot of the battle so that David could have him die. David probably did not look at it as murder. Now, in one sense, he understood it was, but I don't think he really did until Nathan came to him. Think, you know, he, just, he was ready to, to give it to the ravages of war. You know, Uriah was in the wrong place at the wrong time, and, somebody, you know, and, he, and he died. He was trying to justify it. Now, deep down, he knew it was murder because he had told them, pull away from him. You know, he expected him to die. You know, and the sad thing was he gave Uriah the command to give to uh, the general himself. And yet he was sent into the hottest part of the battle. So he hand-delivered his own death sentence in, when, when David sent him. And, and David finally repents. And God later on calls him a man after his own heart. Even after all of this sin. Why? Because God sees us for who we will be, not who we are. And we've really got to understand this. Satan likes to accuse us. You know, he likes to point out all the wrong things that we've done. But God loves us and says that we're perfect, not because he knows that, we're, that we do the wrong things. He knows that we do that. He knows what we will be when he glorifies us. So he can say, I'm going to treat you as if you're perfect. Because as far as he's concerned, we are. We've got to get that through our head. As far as God's concerned, we are perfect perfect. We're perfect in his sight because he sees us what we are when he will have us glorified. We can't see that way. We just see our sin. We see the consequences, the law of reaping and sowing. I do wrong and I receive judgment and back. And, and Satan loves to attack us with that. And God says, no, I see a perfect child. I think it's sadder that we can, that we struggle to see us so much to see ourselves the way God sees us and we live in defeat so much because we will not accept who God says we are. And this is something, the truth shall set us free. God says we're perfect. We know we're not perfect. Satan likes to attack us with facts. You know, you're a terrible, miserable person. Yeah, you know, you're right, Satan. I've done a lot of bad things. But when God looks at us, he sees perfection because he sees us already perfect. And he says, the truth is you're perfect. You're struggling. You're having a hard time. But the truth is, you are in Jesus Christ. 
I have crucified your flesh. I have made you a new creation. You are a brand new righteous individual. Well, because in reality we're not. We have to be sanctified. But we cannot sit back and condemn ourselves for what we've done. Because we are sinners, we will sin. Just a plain simple fact. We are not sinners because we sin. We sin because we are sinners. The sin nature is in us. We will sin. It would be really nice if God just came in and cut the sin nature out of us and then let us live perfect lives. But it doesn't work that way. He wants us to become more and more like him. And he goes through sanctification. But as far as he sees us, he sees us perfect because he declares us that way. You know, because God is looking at us not today. He is in an eternal is and he's in the eternal now. He sees us as we will be, but for him it is now. Okay? And we don't understand that. Okay? Remember what I've said. He's omnipresent. That doesn't mean he's just everywhere. He's every time. So when God declares us perfect and he says you are perfect because he's living in the eternal future as well, he sees us as perfect and he sees us literally as perfect because that's who he's going to make us be. Yeah, he's not looking at us where we are now. He's looking at where, who he is going to make us be when we're glorified. But meanwhile, that gap is a bad gap. It's a terrible gap, but you know what? We can't let Satan bully us into this because we have to be able to say, I am in Christ. I am perfect in God's sight. I'm not there yet, but I am forgiven. I am redeemed, and I am made a new creation. It is the finished work of Christ. He has made us perfect through his grace and the better we learn that truth number one the easier victory is because I'm going to I'm not going to be defeated I'm not going to look listen to the lies of Satan as much because Satan just points out how bad I am he wants to make me condemned and guilty and it says in Romans there is no condemnation therefore for those that are in Christ Jesus no condemnation why because God has said your sin is crucified and it's forgiven. Oh, we can't, if we could just grab hold of that. If we could just learn that, how would we treat others differently if we saw them as the finished work of Christ perfect? Even knowing that they're not. But when we start living that way and we start treating his children that way, when we, can, when we attack and condemn other Christian brothers and sisters, I don't think Jesus finds it as a very good place. It's like a, a husband whose wife is being attacked. If he really loves his wife, he's not going to let his wife be attacked. He's going to stand up and defend. Jesus is going to defend his body and his bride. And we dare to attack each other and condemn one another. All right, we're going to close here. Lord, we just thank you for this day. Lord, we ask you to help us to see ourselves the way you see us in the finished work, that you are saying that we're perfect. Help us to understand that we're perfect. and We don't live that way, but you say we are. Help us to see it that way so we can live in the way you see us. Help us to see each other that way so we'll build up and edify one another. Lord, we take the example of Samson, how you can use a wicked man who doesn't even understand you and, and, and just praise that you can use us. And help us always see your presence. In Jesus' name, amen.